0: Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Samma Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Arato arahato Samma Sambuddhasa.
1: Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one.
0: Homage.
1: Sadan Tor, the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus-come-one's true and actual meaning. And that's the last Chinese that I'll speak tonight. Venerable Master, Dhamma Friends, welcome to our Sutra Lecture. This is uh, July 7th, correct, July 7th, on a Saturday night here in Berkeley, California. And we're going to look into the Flower Garland Sutra. We have, uh, it's a good situation, we have a very few seats uh, down on the men's side, but we have a couple, I'm looking at them, and I hope people will fill in uh, Please sit in uh, front, and if you really can't find a seat, uh, grab a cushion. These benches are optional. What you do need, however, is a text. You've got to have a sutra text in front of you. So if you don't have one of these, you're going to have to get one. Could somebody in the back uh, help out these gentlemen here who find themselves without a text here? Okay, we're going to begin as we always do by by uh, reciting the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas here on the front cover of the text, and we do this to we do this to invoke their presence and to uh, bring their light and their blessings. So, if we can. Be sincere as we request. Put our palms together if you're comfortable with that. And let's bring the Avatamsaka assembly here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. now that we have begun the lecture you're all going to have to wait a minute while I depart and return be right back don't go away <laughs> okay we're back Please turn to page 60 and 61 in your text. We're on the the fourth line, which is the second paragraph, the first the first full paragraph, this bodhisattva is able. And we'll start with the Chinese on the left side. Pussa, you chan
0: san
1: me, Arshang chijong. Okay, here we go on the right-hand side. This bodhisattva is able to enter and come out of all dhyanas, samadhis, and samapatis, and, and, and yet does not undergo birth through their power. Through their power. It's just according to his ability to fulfill the stations of the bodhi shares, the of the bodhi shares. Through, the of through the power of his intent and his vows, and his vows. that he is, born them. And he is born within them. Okay. So we have finished in our sutra. This is the Ten Grounds chapter of the Avatamsaka, the Flower Garland Sutra. And we've been talking about the Bodhisattva's psychic powers, his paranormal Abilities, his unusual abilities that this Bodhisattva has as a result of the vows that he has made to help people. He makes those vows because he sympathizes with their pain. He, he really, as Bill Clinton said, I feel your pain. Well, he... F- <laughs> Why are you laughing? Bill Clinton is not inappropriate to bring in the sutra lecture. Um, maybe he is. But he did do that. And he will come down through the ages as being the president who could say that. And, and you felt it. And people loved him for that. Um, so he felt our pain. And the Bodhisattva does the same. The Bodhisattva feels our pain. And because he doesn't distinguish or she doesn't distinguish between self and, and all beings. And so it's no different he has been working to erase the differences between him thinking that he ends with his skin and everybody else. Not just all people who look like him, but beings that have fur and feathers and fins and horns, insects, invisible beings, ghosts and spirits. The Bodhisattva is not working on the body anymore. He's gone to the level where he wants that thing inside, to be the same with all beings. So as a result, boy, does he feel pain, but he also feels pleasure. Um, It's whatever is going through the nervous systems and emotions of living beings. The bodhisattva registers it all. For that reason, when it hurts, he says, I want to make it hurt less to the point I want to make that hurt go away. That's his real motive. So... Because of that, he set out on a course to learn the Dharma because he realized the Dharma was the one thing that would help best. That goes to the root of the problem. It's not a Band-Aid. It's a fundamental cure. And he learned it, and in the process of learning it, he was able to enter samadhi. Samadhi is those states of meditative stillness and concentration where inner resources that were unavailable before suddenly arise suddenly you discover more of your awakened nature's software if you if you allow that that image if you can work with that on our the hard drive so to speak of our nature we have all these abilities that are there innate and whole in every one of us and we don't think to open them because. We've we never seen anybody who could use them. We've never heard of anybody who could use them. So this bodhisattva has been, um, been inspired by Buddhas and bodhisattvas uh, of other times and places. He hears about that, and he wants to do it too, because he knows it'll work. So what happened? He opened these amazing abilities— from our point of view, the ability to fly through the air like a bird, but with your legs crossed in full lotus, would seem magical or silly or uh, far-fetched. And in fact, for the Bodhisattva, it's one, just another way of travel. Um, the ability to hear the sounds made by beings in the hells, to hear their cries. Uh, the Bodhisattva's ten are his deva ear lets him do that. Um, the ability to see one's own past lives and the past lives of of other beings through endless eons, just not last life, but hundreds of thousands of worlds worth of rebirths. The bodhisattva can see not only what he was, what he was named, but what he had for lunch on a specific day. That was what our sutra told us. So how amazing, right? Science goes, no way. Uh, show me which textbook has that test. You know, Which peer-reviewed journal has posted that research? Well, here's one. Here's a peer-reviewed journal. <laughs> it's been peer-reviewed for 2,500 years and verified, double-blind tested. This is pretty much uh, intersubjectively testable. You can test these sutras out. Scientifically, this is a data book. This is as much hard science as any uh, anything reviewed by the journal Science or Lancet or a m a journal. This is absolutely bona fide research so um, the problem is if you don 't speak Chinese you wouldn't have read it or Vietnamese or Tibetan or Korean, but now it 's in English, so it's this is How many times has the Ten Grounds chapter been opened in Berkeley, California? Mm, Not so often, but here you go. I mean, welcome. Glad you could make it tonight. Here we are, airing it so that people can say, wow, I had no idea that I could do that. Uh, Tell me more. So here we are. So the Bodhisattva, has. we've been reviewing those abilities, those amazing programs on our hard drives, and now we've come to the end of that. And this is the conclusion in the summary. What does it say? This Bodhisattva is able to ru, chu, those are the two verbs. Go into, like you enter a room, come out of, like you leave a room or a house. What? Three things. Chan, sanmei, samobodhi. Three kinds of meditative states. Chan are the dhyanas. We went through the four of those in this chapter just a few pages ago. The dhyana states, one, two, three, four, those are the states the Buddha entered on the night of his enlightenment. They're, according to our teacher, Master Shenhua, each of us can. Anybody can enter those dhyanas. It's not a special class or a special category, or it's not experts who can do that. It's we ourselves who can take the steps through shila, samadhi, and prajna to enter those. Same samadis is referring to specifically named samadis. Those are samadhis that have special names. The Sharangama Samadhi, the Abatamsaka Samadhi, the Vairochanas uh, body samadhi, storehouse body, pilujana, Shan shanzanme, the storehouse body samadhi of vairochana. Those are all um, special states that you can, that our bodies and minds can enter. Further, samapodi, samapodi is another kind of meditative trance that has to do with kind of uh, a, different, a different way of using body and mind. What's it like? What, why are these different kinds? And there's a lot of available um, images for it. For example, if I said, play me some music, you might say, do you like jazz? Uh, how about singing some uh, Fourth of July oldies? On a bicycle built for two, Daisy, Daisy. Right? That's kind of a an early pop song. That's that was the pop song of the twenties. Now we call it an oldie. Right? Well, I don't like that. What about classical? Mm, classical's nice. Could we do some uh, salsa? How about some? Uh, let's get some. Mm, uh, mariachi music going, you know uh, what, so all kinds of music, all our music genres, each one has its own discipline, its own rhythm, its own instruments, Some is vocal, some is instrumental. samadhis are the same. When you sit still, what, what do you do? Well, some of us just our knees hurt a lot. That's probably for everybody. You go through the knee pain phase. But once your mind starts to, to purify and the thoughts, mostly the thoughts, refine, things happen. You can, all kinds of different things occur. And the Bodhisattva is now at a level where he can, he can enter dhyana samadhis, Dhyanas, samadhis, and samapatis All these different different states arise. Here's another one. If you drive with a stick transmission, right? If you drive with a manual transmission, if you're going up a steep hill, you want to be in first gear, right? Mm -hmm. As you're going up the hill. When you get to the top of the hill, and it's a flat road, if you stay in first gear... Mm -hmm. Up in the red. And so what do you do? You shift gears. Oh, and away you go. All of them are means of locomotion, and they're appropriate to different kinds of road, right? These samadhis are appropriate to different situations. So the bodhisattva is able to enter them all. He can shift through all his inner gears and make progress. All of them are tools. None of them are the Buddha's ultimate state in the buddha's state they say there is no state so the buddha's state is includes all these different samadhis and all but it's it's none of them so understand that these are bodhisattvas tools their the bodhisattva's gears right as he goes through his gearbox okay nangru nangchu he can go into them and come out of them that's his ability ran bu sei qi li shousheng but check this next line out. however He literally, however, does not follow their strength and be born. What does that mean? You have to know, to make sense of this, that those Dhyana states are said to be states that the gods are in. What's it like to be a god? Hmm. In theistic religions, that's an inadmissible question. I can't tell you what God's like. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. You can't ask that question here. That's what my Sunday school teacher would tell me. I'm sorry, son. You can't ask that question here. What do you mean, what is God's state? How do I know? We are flock. He is the shepherd. Okay, so that's, that's when you have a, a theistic setup. That's the way it is. In Buddhism, God's states, you get to be a god by what you do. Human, gods come from what people do, what, from people and what people do. And the door to the state of the heavens has to do with purity and with stillness. So if you can enter the dhyanas, you know the states of the gods. Gods are in the states of the dhyanas. So they often talk about it as uh, the four dhyana heavens states. So in other words, the first dhyana, second dhyana, third dhyana, fourth dhyana, if you and your human body now today can cross your legs or not necessarily even, can enter dhyana in this body while you're still wearing this, this outfit your mind is in the state of the gods. You're in a deva state. You're in a heavenly state. That's interesting concept. That's kind of like, wow, I never thought of having my body in the world, but my mind in, as a god. And that's what the, the Buddha Dharma says. So if you, what does it say? Ran bu sui qi li shou If you um, choose. To be a god, one way to do it is to meditate really well. You'll know. You'll know what it's like to be in the heavens because your mind will be there. The Buddha would say, not recommended. Don't go there. Like, hmm? Wait a minute. Isn't that that where we want to go? My mom's answer, yes, of course a good Christian churchwoman would say, of course I want to go to heaven. That's the point, isn't it? Isn't that the goal? For theistic religions, what's better? To sit at the right hand of God. That's, that's the goal for sure. From the Buddhist point of view, there's another state. There's a higher state. And the problem with being a god is you're still mortal. You're still going through rebirth. You're born there, but you don't stay there. You're born there. When your blessings are gone, you, you move on. You come back, or worse. So the, these sutras are aimed at getting us to the final place, which is Buddhahood. And Buddhahood is a state that you accomplish at the end of the road through the same process, but that's, that's the goal. That's where you want to go. The, the stages of the heavens are halfway Maybe not even halfway because they're still in, you're still mortal. You're still in samsara as a god. So he can, these bodhisattvas can enter those states. They don't get born there and stop. That's the point. That's what it says. They want to keep on going. So for them, it's like, um, what's it like? It's like, I want to go to Denver, maybe to be a firefighter. And so I stop at Salt Lake City. Now, in the analogy, Salt Lake City has to be somewhat like heaven, right? Uh, For Mitt Romney, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Too much politics, Darwin Master. Don't bring those names up tonight. Okay, so it's halfway. And this Bodhisattva can go in and come out, go in and come out. Salt Lake City is a nice place. Lots of great ice cream. You sublimate your one one taste for another, one addiction for another. No alcohol but lots of sugar. Dan Sui neng Man Puti Fun Chu. It is just according to his ability to fulfill the stations of the Bodhi shares. That's a really clunky English sentence. This this text is in the process of being smoothed. So Forgive us the the chunky grammar. Let's take a look at the Chinese. Tan Merely, it's just because sui nang, as he like sui means accordingly, the way he does, meaning as things come, he can. Man is the verb here. He can make, he can fulfill, he can perfect, master. That's our word, he can master, puti fan chu. Okay, we're going to take a little side trip now. Um, That's why I went upstairs at the start of the lecture, because I realized I didn't have the complete information. I didn't have the full order and the, the official Chinese names of some very important dharmas. And these dharmas are, interestingly enough, shared with Theravada. These there are there's a, a handful of sutra dharmas that the Mahayana and the Theravada equally revere. The Four Noble Truths being one, the Eightfold Path being one, um, the Twelve Links of Conditioned Arising being another. And these are called bodhipakka dharmas. Is that right, Venerable? Bodhi, that's the seven Bodhi shares, Bodhipakka, Bodhipakya bodhi, bodhi, bodhi dharmas There are seven of them, and they have different names in English because they're listed. Here's this, is a, this name Puti Funchu is a different name than we're used to. They occur as Puti Funfa, Chi Puti Chi They're called the seven limbs of enlightenment, the seven shares of awakening. The seven bodhi shares. The <clears throat> this is called the seven bodhi places, the seven awakening places here. So they have all these different names. And in my dictionary that I up to get, they're called Chi jie fun, the seven awakening pieces, chunks, segments. Um, these are seven really important dharmas. And the reason why I took the time to go upstairs and come back is I wanted to get these um, in the traditional list because these are important. Um, this is what a traditional sutra lecture: the the lecturer's job is to like, you know, go in and every time there's a list, you you need to to be specific. And I've been um, going lightly over those lists because. Uh, they take a long time for one and um, I'm lazy for another. That's another important reason. But sometimes you just want to give people the... You want to share them. And this is one of those. These Bodhipakya dharmas in Pali um, and Bodhi... uh, What are they in Sanskrit? They're... mm. Don't know the Sanskrit name. Something like... Pat, these are um, significant dharmas. Let me give you them. It's according to his ability to fulfill the stations of the bodhisattvas. So, ooh, it means because he's good at these. Because he's good at these seven things. He's a master of these seven things. What are they? The first of these seven is discernment dharma selection discernment dharma, selecting dharmas picking dharmas this bodhisattva is really good at paying attention to what's going on around him or her and then going i'm going to do that i'm not going to do that not only around him but in him when a thought goes up in his mind he's able to go that's a ringer bad thought that's my bad habit I'm not going to follow that one. I've learned a better way, and if I can hold my temper and not blow up, things will go better. Proven, you know. So the Bodhisattva goes, "Huh? Wait. Oh, I've heard that. That yeah, used to be my button, and my sister knows exactly how to push my button when it's to her advantage to get me upset. And I'm going to go. No, you that. Sorry, that button doesn't work anymore. Meanwhile, here I want to give you something." And you totally disarm your sister because she's so used to you, like, you know, that's, that was your button before. But you've taken all the energy off that button and become kind and generous instead. Changed her day, you know, and your relationship. So that's Dharma selecting, picking the Dharma, Dharma picker. You become Tzifat. That's the first Bodhi share. What are they? They're called limbs to enlightenment. Sometimes called Wings to Enlightenment, the Seven Wings to Awakening. That's kind of a nice mellifluous title, right? The Seven Wings of Awakening. There's even Dharma books written with that as the title, Seven Wings of Awakening. So pick that one out. It's called Zipa, Dharma Picker. You're the the Dharma Selector. You can tell where this is going to lead you at the first step. Another way to describe this, this, this shares with the ten bodhisattvas powers that we talked about. The bodhisattva has ten wisdom powers. This one is like that, which is with the first step, you know where it's going to lead. Not only your first step, but every path. It's called... Uh, the, the power is called knowing where all paths lead. That's the ten powers. Same thing. With the Dharma selecting bodhisattva, or limb of enlightenment, wings to awakening. You know which one to pick and which one to avoid. Usually how? Through painful experience. You got better at it. You, you stumbled so many times that you learned not to stumble anymore. You've learned that that's where the crack is in the road. Right? Did you all see the uh, YouTube video last week? There is a subway station on 11th avenue in new york and it's just like any other subway station and their staircase going up to the street and there's one step that is a half inch higher than all the other steps And everybody goes trip trip and some person clearly with a lot of time on his hands set up a camera just opposite that step and he has a five-minute youtube video of everybody going up the staircase tripping on that step And it was so fascinating. I was like, why are you watching this? (laughs) I tripped, stumbled. Okay, so, you know, we do that in our own heads. We do that. We have these places where we trip over and over again. And at a certain point, you go in there with a jackhammer and level it off so the people going up the steps don't have to trip on their way up out of the subway. On your way up out of your mind, you level out one of your bad habits so that you don't trip every time you go up your own staircase to get to the street from the depths of your mind. So that's Tzifah. How do you learn not to do that? Painful repetition. And having a good teacher really helps. You have a teacher who says, you know, here's your name. (laughs) I'm going to give you this name. Why? That's your bad habit. Oh, that bad a habit, huh? Yes, you do it so many times. So number two is called vigor, jing jin. The first is called zi fa, If anybody's doing it, xuanzhe fa The second one is called jing jin, vigor. Sometimes called energy or strength. Sometimes it's the strength body share, the strength limb of enlightenment. What does that mean? It means once you pick a good dharma, you do it. You go. The first, you pick it. You select carefully. The second is you do it. You do it vigorously. You practice. It's funny how that word practice has become the key word in the American Zen world. We just practice. What are you doing? Practicing. What does that mean? Well, Meditating wearing my robe correctly, bowing, making offerings, all the things. But it's just come practice. You know, we practice. There's a practice community. Practice. That word means spiritual activity. It's come, it's, that's taken on a whole other meaning in the, in the Zen world. So number two is you practice. You do it. You, you find a good dharma, and you do it. Better than sitting in front of the tube The third, the third one is happiness. How interesting. The happiness limb to enlightenment, right? The wing, the happiness wing of awakening. Um, the Buddha gave the third one that simple dharma called Xi. In Chinese, Xi Huan de Xi. Xi Huan. So, three is not only do you pick out a good dharma and put it into practice, but you enjoy it. You, you don't let it get stale. You keep on finding a way to keep it fresh. And our minds, you know, we habituate so quickly and then it becomes old. Well, the, the wing of awakening is you want to find a way to keep it fresh um, our teacher master shenhua if you don't know master shenhua's picture here he is we had this 50th anniversary recently and a 50th anniversary of our of our teacher's bringing the dharma to the west and one of the best parts of the whole weekend was uh, hearing the stories from from senior disciples early disciples and People who were there will never, ever, ever forget the Chan meditation session when Master Hua brought in the yoga teacher. We were uh, Chan sessions at Gold Mountain back in the day, and this is probably 1975. Um, they were pretty grim because we were all fresh. It's grim meaning, that's not the right word. They were pretty intense is the word. Yeah. Grim sounds. That's another degree to the dark, right? They weren't dark. They were. What What was grim was a little grit at our teeth.
2: <laughs> it hurts so much, you know. Ah, our knees
1: were smoking. Your knees.
2: I'll never forgive you.
1: Says your knees. You know. Yes, you will. Have a cookie. It's okay. Calm down. You know.
2: Ah. I'm going to go on strike.
1: Oh, this is the 70s, isn't it? Yeah, you could do that. So not anymore. Not in Wisconsin. Don't go there. Don't do that. Okay. So knees complaining, back aching, cold, and somebody beside you is like snoring, you know, and he's out of reach, so you can't just nudge him surreptitiously. You have to, and then it's, then obviously you've lost your, you know not ideal you know so oh, tough they were those are really good sessions because they bring up everything they bring up all your stuff inside and going around so it's tar- tough and especially like on the fourth and fifth day just you've been up for in those sessions you're up at 2 a.m and you go to sleep at midnight with one day one hour of rest in the afternoon otherwise you're there so you you do spend a lot of time you know <laughs> uh, yeah. That and they're tough, and so coming in the fifth day, and it's just like you've you've kind of cycled through your first round of energy, and you're not yet to the second one, and it's a lull. So after lunch, it's especially hard because your your stomach is full, and your all your body chemistry is digesting all your food, and it's not there for so you're like really working hard, and you couldn't quit. If you were upstairs in your room, somebody would come knocking on your door and invite you back down to join. So we're there just trying our best to figure out what this is all about. And suddenly, Shrifu turns the lights on. Master Hua is there. He said, uh, today, he said, uh, we have a special opportunity to learn yoga from Madam Sophia. Who is luckily, it's our blessing that she has come by today to demonstrate yoga asanas. Madam Sophia, and clear away the benches, clear away the benches. So we're sitting, you know, like, what? (laughs) Here comes Madam Sophia with her leotard, her red leotard. You know, and Madame Sophia is like seriously teaching us how to do a headstand, how to do the downward dog, how to do the, you know. And we're all going, don't look, don't look. You know, it's like. But Sherpa says, I want you to learn yoga. It's really good for your meditation. I'm serious. She's a great teacher. You learn. You know, and we're going, oh, okay, sure." <laughs> Suddenly we realize the entire atmosphere is broken. And we're like, we're like, you know, that's good. I didn't kn- that's but She's really flexible, you know. I was like, wow. <laughs> and so everybody's like trying the yoga asanas and stretching and doing the snake pose and doing, you know, and and Master Hua's on the, you know, leading us in the yoga position and doing. Clearly, Sureful knows yoga very, you know. And we're like, wow. That's, and then when it was over, you know, she joined us for lunch. Or no, she she ate lunch in the dining room. We'd already eaten. And and so Sherpa had us, you know, say thank you to her. And then we're all, like, just kind of buzzing. And Sherpa says, get back to meditation. What are you false thinking about? <laughs> we're like, okay, Sherpa. And we're refreshed. And you're back. And everybody's on point. And Madam Sophia, you know, did a really nice job, an hour med- yoga class, and... Sherfu was sincerely offering up yoga for us. It was no joke. But clearly it was designed to break that the kind of death grip zen that we were doing, you know. And it worked fine. It was great. It was terrific. And everybody who was there still talks about it to this day because it was the last thing we expected in the middle of the fifth day of a seven-day chan was to get a yoga lesson from Madame Sophia. So it was terrific, and just only a teacher dares do something like that. Somebody who's really skillful, um, and it it was perfectly appropriate for us to change our energy that way in the safety of the Chan Hall, right on the floor. You know, there. Where else are you going to learn yoga? So, so that was that was really great. And what was it? Everybody was happy. She. This is the limb of enlightenment, the wing of awakening, you know. Master Hua was truly not attached to to standard social norms. He valued the precepts and teaching people not to be attached. So, how wonderful. So the third one is happiness. The fourth is a very interesting state called Qing'an. Literally lightness and peace. What is Qing'an? Qing'an is is a, a pre dhyana meditative state. When you can reach a state of we translated it as lightness and ease, or um, just a state of, of serenity. Qingan could translate as serenity. When you reach the state of serenity, you're at the threshold of the dhyanas. It's not that powerful um, first, second, and third, fourth dhyana where your, your heart stops and your, your lungs stop, that kind of, it's just before those states. And it's, uh, it says it's, the name says the state. It's lightness and peacefulness. You feel secure. There are no burdens. You're not oppressed in this state. Ching, an, lightness and ease. Security, safety. So, serenity. It's a pre state, right? Before the, the deeper kinds of meditation. Um, <clears throat> and that's the Bodhi share, the limb to enlightenment, the wing of awakening. The fifth is Nian, mindfulness. And let me point out the sequence. First is you pick a good Dharma. Second is you put it into practice. Third is you find a way to lighten up. You don't drive it, drag it into the ground, drive it into the ground with your misplaced sincerity, with your obsession. You do it happily. Then you have this state of serenity that comes from transcending an ordinary body and mind division. And then mindfulness ensues. And then this is number, is this number five or number six? This is mindfulness is number five. Okay. And it's a state where it becomes effortless. You do it without doing it. You are mindful, you're aware that you're doing it, but there's you've already gone beyond the me doing it. It kind of it it finds its own level in your Uh, in your consciousness so nian mindfulness you continue to practice but it's become effortless number six is ding samadhi and ding that word is a, a cognate that's the same word as samme which you had in the first line Samadhi. Samadhi is the Chinese way to say Samadhi. The Chinese language doesn't have sam, the Cantonese does. Samadhi. It's got Samadhi, which is the shorter. Um, and if they wanted to translate it instead of transliterate it, they would say Ding. Concentration. So the, the sixth Bodhi share the sixth limb of enlightenment, winged awakening, is this ding, samadhi. It's a state of transformation. You've transformed um, the self doing things completely. The mindfulness was where it became effortless, but in ding, there's actually a change. Um, If you, my best way of understanding ding. I remember um, as a college junior I had a friend from Ontario who drove across the Windsor-Ontario bridge into Detroit and then up to Pontiac where I was near where I was going to school in his Porsche 911. He had a fast Porsche and I had never ridden in an expensive German sports car before. We're Detroit. I mean, Detroit. You understand what that means, right? You don't drift in anything It's a Corvette. Ne- you know, never. German sports cars? I'm sorry. It must be a communist or something. You know, we, we buy Detroit. You know, buy American. So I'd never ridden in a Porsche before. I'd read about him, heard about him, never ridden in one. And so he uh, got there and he actually had come down to see a girlfriend. And he said he knew that I wanted to ride in the car. So he said, oh, well, he said, come back tonight. Here you go. <whistles> Toss me the keys. Plop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and I barely could get it out of second gear. You know? So uh, I remember um, realizing, I feeling that acceleration, in the the back of your seat, which I'd never felt in my Volkswagen. You know? <laughs> Not, you know, Volkswagen bus. You know? Mm-hmm, 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 like that. This was... You know, and away you go. And hearing uh, Porsches have a distinctive engine sound. It's uh, It's high-pitched, and it goes up and down very quickly. Like that. And... Hearing the way that engine, uh, I think it was eight cylinders. Uh, there are, I don't know if Porsche makes a 12 cylinder, but they, anyway, hearing those cylinders um, synchronize was a whole new experience for me. It was, I likened it to a sewing machine, right? If you if your mom, do you, anybody here still use a sewing machine? Mom's sewing machine would go really fast like that and the sewing machine was very synchronized this Porsche engine was synchronized and it was like that in in a blink of an eye suddenly 60 miles an hour you know and the, the Michigan state state police were like
2: what was that
1: you know, in my fantasy so in my imagination so i kept it very happily in second gear because i didn't dare get, there wasn't any road that could hold third gear for that Porsche so anyway It was a whole new experience of synchronized machinery. And I thought, that must be what it's like to enter the (laughs) Dianas. Exactly like that. Minus the exhaust. All right. When your body and your mind and your emotions all go "Mm," like that, there's a transformation. There's a difference. It's not the same state. Driving that Porsche was not at all like my Volkswagen bus. I mean, it really was not. It was very different. Same, basically the same engine block. That was, interestingly enough. But a very different experience. And when you enter samadhi, this ding state, it is still you, but it's different. You have transformed the, the self who enters samadhi. It's now... Another octave. That was another way to uh, to describe it. The here's a standard existence.
0: Here's
1: in samadhi. American monks are weird. They make
2: samadhi like a banjo string.
1: Cultural. So it's another... It's another state. It's just you, but it's another state. So those are all analogies. Is it really like a banjo octave? Not. Like a harmonic? Not. But you get the idea. Finally, we get to number seven, which is one of my favorites which is called sh in Chinese. And 舍 means... Um, it, it can mean to let go. Uh, that's... The word let go in English has other kinds of resonance. But it's... Do you all know in the four... What are called the four limitless attitudes... Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. equanimity. This is that word, upekka. Upekka, which means renunciation, equanimity, letting go. Um, When you say, it's like saying, yeah, it's the same. The best analogy I know is when you're... um, up at CTTB next time, city of ten thousand Buddhas. Look at the expression on the face of Guanyin Bodhisattva. It's mind you, it's a carved wooden statue. It's a camphor wood statue, and it's it's kind of it's rough, it's crude, it's not fine, it's not like a, a David kind of expression, uh, but it's it's that. Expression of burned through, not burned out, burned through. No ashes left, no coals in the ashes. All the fuel has been extinguished, and that's the show. At this point, the bodhisattva... No, I didn't finish. It's that look of being burned through, but what is left is this visage of great compassion many people um, talked about, one of them being my sister, interestingly enough, talked about encounters of Master Hua uh, on the 50th anniversary, meeting Master Shenhua Hua and seeing his face turn into a mirror. And th- that's the she, that's what I saw, Guan Yin, that image of Guan Yin. And our Buddha is somewhat the same. Actually, Amitabha, our stained-glass Amitabha, is pretty close to that, which is, it's very human, but there's no distinguishable characteristic left except the essential humanity. And yet, because it's so essential, meaning the essence, it can be anything. It can take on any expression, And I tell you, year after year after year of coming down to these images, day after day, morning after morning, night after night, for um, decades plus, my state is projected on those images differently every single day. I don't know about the other monks, but when you're looking at 4 a.m. at these images, sometimes they look really angry. Sometimes they look irritated, you know. Sometimes they look like distraught, bored, you know, just not at peace. And I realize it's entirely my projection. Those faces don't change, but it's what I'm putting out through my eyes, my muscles, my chi on that mirror and coming back. What do people say about Master Hua? Now, the Buddha never looks angry. No, I take it back. That's too extreme. Scratch that, all of you listening online. I didn't you know, scratch that. Anyway, the Buddha never looks quite angry. It's me and my projections who give the Buddha my state in the day. Um, what people reported they saw Master Shenhua do is it seemed like when you watched him that there was... Not necessarily anybody home no distinct character or personality a face kind of very essential basic but as soon as he was look as soon as you came in front of him and looked at him you saw yourself with every wart and line and wrinkle and attachment intact No exceptions. Every single thing you'd ever done wrong was reflected right back at you in that mirror. And at the very same instant, all the perfection that was possible was immediately there, right with the flaws. And my sister um, had never met Master Shrenhua. She hadn't talked to her brother since he had left home. Like, Five years earlier, we were in Los Angeles, a Gold Wheel monastery on Sixth Street, and one day my sister showed up. She got off the back of a Harley Davidson wearing a black leather jacket. <laughs> and there's Liz. And she came right in front of Master Shuenhua. He picked her out and like looked at her like this. And she was shocked because she didn't know that many Chinese people before, much less bald, robe-wearing Chan monks, you know, especially one with as much uh, wattage, voltage as Master Shenhua. And so she, he came right in front of her and looked at her, and she said she saw in a single glance everything she'd ever done wrong. And at the very same moment, she saw everything that, that she could become. And she said, That one look was enough for a lifetime. She has never forgotten it, and she's carried him with her to this day. And this is one of the stories from the 50th anniversary that she, we heard this over the phone the other day. Did I leave anything out? That was it, basically, right? And she said that she had never experienced this in a human being before. Both the sobering reality of her flaws and the inspiring breathtaking realization of what she was capable of in a single look. I just wanted to add, actually, I think I remember
0: her saying that Master Law asked her, you want to go?
1: Yeah, but that's, we're not going to talk about that. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> 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 in fact, that is what he said, but we're editing that. So, um, mirror-like. And yet, ordinarily, nothing. Nobody home. That's shuh. That's number seven. Okay? So, call it uh, equanimity, yeah. Call it renunciation, yeah. Call it letting go, yeah. But none of them quite have it. It's upeka. Which means burned through, but that sounds not, sounds kinda of rough. So all those what is the state of shuh? It's the fourth Wu Liang xin, the fourth limitless attitude. Right? <laughs> Kindness, compassion, joy, and that one. And mind you, this is the the she of the third limitless attitude is the, the third of the bodhisattvas. Okay, so there they are. Dharma Dharma picker, pick the dharma. Vigor, do it a lot. Put, your, put yourself into it. Joy as you do it, right? Happiness as you do it. Then um an, the state of serenity, the state of nian, mindfulness, the state of samadhi, that when it really transforms you, and then you let it go. And you, you have that ability to take your personality that you are, that we are so, you know, clear that this is me and this is mine and this is who I am, and you let that go. And you have really been reborn from the Dharma. Look at the last line. 以一元利而生其中。<inaudible> Through the power of his intent and his vows, he's born within them. So in other words, what is Yi e Yen, Li? The strength of his, her will, and then vows. You say the bodhisattva, right? What does he want to do? Third ground bodhisattva wants to learn how to help people because he feels their pain, and he wants to... End that pain for them. So he says, I need to transform myself. So he goes through Dharma, selection, vigor, peace of mind, happiness, peace of mind, samadhi, or mindfulness, samadhi, and letting go. And he's reborn. She is now new, renewed through the Dharma. Okay, so that's why we took the detour into this list of seven. Because these are special seven. Um, Dr. Konza, the translator of the Prajnaparamita literature, the late Dr. Konza, um, said at one point that the Buddha Dharma arose simply through these lists. He called them mother lists. And he said, this is the dharma didn't start out as like, I'm now going to you know speak a sutra for you. Here comes the dharma. It was, oh, you got pain? Take this. Are you hurting? Take this. And bit by bit, they, they grew. First was, pretty reliably, we say, the Four Noble Truths to the monks in the deer park. Although the Mahayana says the Buddha already spoke the avatamsaka still beneath the tree before he left the tree. So... These, here's one of those lists, the seven. And boy, oh boy, there are so many lists in Buddhism. There's, back here on the bottom shelf of our, of our sutra, uh, Tripitaka, of our three baskets, we have a book of lists, an entire book made up of lists. So the Chinese categorized all the lists. There's the single vehicle. There's the two truths. There's the three learnings, the three sciences that have no outflows. There's the four noble truths. There's the five powers and the five roots. There's the six paramitas. There's the seven shares, There's the eight bold noble path. There's the nine stages of the decaying corpse. There's the ten grounds. There's the eleven wholesome dharmas. There's the twelve links of conditioned awakening. There aren't very many 13s. That's true. <laughs> but I'm sure you could find them. Ah, so. Now, somebody might say, and nobody did yet, there are 37 limbs of enlightenment. There are 37 limbs of awakening. Right. There are. And among the 37, I know you were all going to say that, right? You were all going to remind me that there... Okay, good, good. Glad you're paying attention. And among the 37, seven of them are these. These are seven wings inside the larger collection that also takes the same name. So, how interesting. Here in the avatamsaka, it says the bodhisattva is reborn among them. Now, when I said these are kind of magical, very special, there is a story from the um, agamas, I believe, from the Pali canon about a monk who was very ill. The monk was sick. And his illness was really severe. And his his body was like leaking pus and he was covered with stinky sores and nobody wanted to get near him because he was, yuck, you know. He's really a mess. And so the Buddha... Um, Now, further, further, there's more to it, which is they had tried doctors, and no doctors were able to cure him. He had some sort of, you know, serious illness. And medicine was not able to fix him. So the story got to the Buddha, and the Buddha himself came and went down and uh, washed his wounds and, uh, you know, treated him just like a mom healing her child and then he said uh, do you know where your illness comes from and the monk said I do not know world honor one and the Buddha said well he said this is not this, your, your afflictions come from what you did in past lives this is entirely appropriate that you're sick like this based on what you did in the past and he told him about his past life and then he said um, have you heard of the seven limbs of awakening, the seven wings of enlightenment. And the monk said, Yes, world one, I have heard of them. And the Buddha said, Tell me what they are, recite them. And so the monk, reliably, he said, Well, uh, world one, the first one is called selecting the Dharma, and the second one is called vigorous practice, and the third one is called joy in practice, and the fourth one is called serenity that comes from that joy and before he got to number five, he was entirely cured. All his illness fell away, and he finished the seven, and he, and the Buddha said, very good, that's correct. Stand up now, and don't backslide again. You know, remember this, and and be vigorous. Don't stop, and all the monks were going, you know, but he was like stinking with pus oozing from his body, and now he's like walking away, and Re- newly re- resolved you know and the Buddha said yes he said disciples he said don't underestimate the power of the Dharma these teachings can heal you I'm going, yeah. we saw that so so these apparently are not at all simple you know the seven wings of awakening the seven limbs of enlightenment the seven bodhi shares the seven bodhi Pakya dharmas. Interesting, huh? Chi jajar pūti fun pa, chi puti chu. Chi puti chū. Yeah. So the bodhisattva can enter and come out of the dhyanas, samadhis, and samapatis, but he doesn't want to be born in the heavens as a result. He wants to stay here and keep cultivating towards Buddhahood. It's because he can master the Bodhi shares through the power of his intent and his vows, that he's born there among them. So he's born in a life. He comes to to rebirth and remembers, yeah, I should be vigorous. I should enjoy what I'm doing. I shouldn't get so uptight. Comments or questions in the middle of all that? Yeah, Jason Would you recommend us to memorize these lists. Or? Oh, for sure. <laughs> we uh years past what were we lecturing? I think we were the 10 practices. We had a a regular uh dharma list uh every, I reserve 5 minutes out of every lecture to like give another list. And we it was kind of a dharma ABCs, you know. So, okay, close your sutra, Jason. What are the seven? No. <laughs> okay, next week, next week. Yeah, these are really good. And, um, gosh, um, I, I used to memorize the basics. And Master Hua, would, he would go over them every time as if it were fresh. Four noble truths. So, dao And we would learn suffering, accumulation of the suffering, cessation of that suffering, and then the the path to the cessation. So when you get into the 12 links of awakening, it gets intense, 37 limbs. You do all 37. Um, One way to do it is when you do the Pali morning chanting, the way the Theravada tradition, the Thai forest tradition does, there are um, there are uh, chants that are simply the lists, and it's, it's really easy to remember after you've done it a bunch of times, you know. Among other things, but they're, they uh, they revere those dharma's. Yeah, so I recommend it yeah, definitely. More more comments, questions. We are nearing the end, and. Of the, the third ground, going to the verses, and the next, the next from this section here, next week, all the way to the verses, a large part of it is re- repetition of patterns that people who are who've been here watching will recognize from the second ground and the first ground. How many Buddhas he sees? Now, in the third ground, he sees more than he did in the second. The second more than he saw in the first. Um, he listens to the Dharma. Um, there are. There's a powerful statement about desire coming up over on page 63. Then there's the analogy about gold comes back. The Buddha, the, the Bodhisattva, as a um, analogy to goldsmithing, which is really interesting, smelting gold. Then uh, the four dharmas of attraction, which came up today in conversation. The ten paramitas. And then it talks about what kind of god he becomes in his rebirths. Then to go on and then his vows. And he sees more Buddhas. And then on page 67 come the verses. And when we get to the verses, we're uh, we're going to chant them. We're going to put music to them. nine o'clock, we're going to look at visual things. So I wanted to share a new song. We're, uh, we're going to, the next Buddhist, Western Buddhist folk song CD is going to be devoted to Guanyin Bodhisattva. going to have a theme to it. It's not just going to be Paramita part two. It's going to have a theme. those songs before we can record them right they don't exist there aren't that many western Guanyin bodhisattva songs so a large part of that a large part of that process has to do with finding western tunes finding appropriate tunes my my skills are not in uh tune smithing i i don't seem to attract many new melodies that's that's a magical thing bach Chopin could like pull these tunes out of space, and I've done a few, but they those those tunes kind of find you when it's time, when you're ready. You just prepare yourself, and the it, the melody announces that it's come. You know, composers will talk about that. It, like it picks you. So uh, what uh, my strength is in adapting lyrics and meter and stuff. So. I've been, I've been borrowing a lot of Western tunes, and the, the trick is to find melodies that are embedded in the culture and that reflect some aspect of Guan Yin's, Guan Yin's vows and qualities. So there's a wonderful song called Unclouded Day, which I really love, written in 1857 by Reverend Isaiah Roberts or something like that. It goes... Oh, they tell me of a place where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a place where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of that unclouded day. Like that. So that's a, it's a hymn, it's a praise. It's, it's uh, not really a hymn. It's a, a good Christian song talking about the better life by and by, the unclouded day. So I thought, there's a good melody. I like that melody. So it goes like this. There's a Bodhisattva shuri. When you're down, you just call her name. She will hear your cry, and she'll lend you a hand. All your troubles will go far away. Oh, Bodhisattva, with a thousand eyes, see us with great compassion's gaze, her Heart can hold every living being. Call the name of Guan Shu. Bodhisattva When you're down You just call her name She will hear Your cry And she'll lend you a hand All your troubles Will go far away Oh Bodhisattva With a thousand eyes See us with Great compassion's gaze; her heart can
0: hold every living being. Call the name of Guan Yin.
1: Only one verse at this point, but more to come. So, call the name of Guan Yin. Please, you, you in the back, what did you say there?
2: Uh, I just want to remind you uh, that uh, if you want to stop global warming, stop eating meat. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. What, how do you prove Well, methane. Methane? Yeah, you know, uh, number one polluting source is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, can I use impolite language? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, what comes out the rear end of cows? Methane cuts that ozone worse than car exhaust. Really? Yeah, United Nations says so. Well, you're really, for a fool, you're kind of like up on your statistics. Well, yeah, you know, called survival. You've got to survive around here, and you've got to inform yourself. So uh, you think mad cow disease went away? Think again. Oh, my God. Okay, so, uh, yeah, most of all, uh, what I want you all to do is uh, make sure you vote Democrat. No, wait, hey, wait, you can't talk politics here. No, okay, so anyway, yeah, Mitt Romney's, you know, got those off, Shh, come on, no, not, not here, that, like, like, sometimes you just, you know. no, it's Okay. Monks can't be partisan.
1: May not oh boy I saw a photograph um, very disturbing of a dead polar bear because the ice finally went away we've seen those pictures of the shrinking ice and the polar bear on the smaller dead polar bear too hot for him just polar bears aren't supposed to be dead and dried up on the shore like a fish, you know. They're going away because there are 2,456 American cities this last month had the hottest record-breaking temperature ever. 2,400 American cities that registered the hottest temperature ever. Record-breaking. And yet, There are people who will tell you that climate change is a hoax by scientists so they can sell more papers, more research articles. You know, you go, gee whiz, we're not seeing things the same at all. You know, 2,400 cities, that's, you know. Okay, people are interesting. So what do you do about it personally? Well, do I drive less? If I have to go somewhere, I turn the car on and drive. What about that? That's where it really comes down. One thing you can do if you're serious about it is eat lower on the food chain. And it's, it is the case that uh, large animals produce lots of exhaust out their rear ends. And the, the United Nations named meat production as the most serious threat to to the ozone all the various internal combustion engines from airplanes to buses to tractors to cars their output does not match the output of methane from animals that cuts the ozone that then traps the gas the the sunlight that then melts the melts the polar ice caps henry kaiser our resident antarctica explorer is out of work he can't go he can't take the tractors and the four bys across the ice anymore out to where the scientists want to get mcmurdo sound because it's now water it's not ice anymore anyway the dharma would say is we're all related it's all linked You never throw anything away. It's still with us after you throw it away. So, on your sheet there, in the back of your songbook, there's a dedication to merit. Please make a wish.